All right, welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, PK, and alongside me this week in uh, snowy Denver, Colorado, we have uh, Wick Terrell. Wick, how are you? I'm good, and it's actually not snowy. The, uh, the I, I was guessing. I was the, guessing. The, the, the flowers out here actually started blooming last week because it's been so freaking ridiculously warm. So, um, <laughs> But I am actually heading up to the mountains later on this week, and so it will be snowy up there, and I'm looking forward to that. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, also uh, alongside us this week uh, is our other uh, co-host, Eric Roseberry. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How's it going? Awesome. Awesome. Can't complain one bit. So... Um, we uh, do not have a special guest this week um, outside of our normal guests. So um, what we decided to do is do a kind of reader questions uh, Red Reporter mailbag show. So um, so before we get to that, though, we are just going to touch on uh, the news of the week. Um, not really a ton to talk about. Um, I think that the main thing that uh, happened this week is that we know that Anthony DiSclefani will not be ready for opening day uh, for the second straight year. Um, and actually, and for the second straight year, really, him coming from being the rumored uh, starting pitcher for opening day. Um, so, you know, what impact is uh, this going to have for for this team? Do you guys think? Uh, I mean, if the the reports of it are, are true. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I think Mark Sheldon said he's still in line to start somewhere before the fifth game of the season. So there's no reason to rush him, no reason to push it, let him be healthy. And I, at least as it is now, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a long-term issue. Yeah, I kind of look right. at it the same way. Like right now it looks like he's going to be, I mean, not being ready for opening day, uh, the, the way – that's phrased has like some some bad connotations to it because there's something else underlying it. It sounds like he's just getting a little bit of a late start, but there's not anything that's uh, structural or damaging or something to be worried about. In my mind, it's almost like you can look at him as uh, uh, starting the season as the number three starter. Uh, it's right. kind of the way that, that that actually plays out, assuming everything goes well from here on out. But uh, I've got no reason to believe otherwise at this point. So I think the, the shock value of the announcement was more of the, uh, um, uh, the news, the um, the actual, yeah. the, the actual story. Yeah. Cause, but I mean, <laughs> in, in Cincinnati Reds world, we've, we've, you know, for the same reason, Rysel Iglesias ended up starting opening day last year after DiScalfani had the oblique injury and Homer Bailey got, you know, setback after setback after setback and John Moscott got hurt and, you know, even the backups were getting hurt. Uh, there's there's definitely some uh, uh, some residual fear I think in Cincinnati Reds land when you hear something like that, but it sounds like that's not uh, what's going to be a, a bigger deal than um, uh, that it you know when you first heard it what it would be. So right. So and I I agree with that. I'm I'm hoping that it all it means is that maybe we see we see one start from you know Tim Edelman or somewhere someone like that who you know, can step in and eat some innings, but Ross hopefully Mariano. it's not. Hey, I, <laughs> I, I was talking to someone about it today. I, I think Bronson Arroyo actually uh, might have a shot at making this team right now, but, uh, Oh, what know, a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, didn't we say just a couple weeks ago that, you know, Bronson Arroyo is the, maybe the 11th best starter in camp or something. And that, uh, if he makes the team, then there's something deeply wrong with the, with the reds. Well, well here we are. Knows? Yeah, here we are. <laughs> uh, but, although I guess, uh, I guess, uh, with, with Bronson back on the mound for the first time in any real capacity today, pitching in that side game, he can't be more far. I mean, you know, if, if, if these is truly healthy and is going to get started this week, Bronson's really not that far ahead of him on the, uh, be ready for opening day, uh, uh, depth chart. So, um, right. um, I, I am interested to see where he fits in into all of this. Cause obviously the Reds are going to be, uh, willing to give him the opportunity to, to, to jump in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, how, how they handle him and, uh, how he actually looks if, and when he gets in a cactus league game later on this month is, uh, um, it's going to be interesting to watch to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, so and and speaking of uh, Bronson Arroyo, that's really the only other only other news we had this week was that the Reds had an inter squad game where uh, Bronson Arroyo pitched an inning and uh, Devin Mazzaracco caught an inning. 
Um, so that's that's an encouraging sign. He he really hasn't played. He hasn't played at all. I don't think in in Cactus League yet. So just kind of doing side stuff. So um, it it's encouraging to see him catching again, and uh, hopefully he'll be in games this week or next week. Yeah, I think they said the plan was for Mizoraco to be in a game within a week. So it'll be <clears throat> interesting to see what he looks like after. I think it's less than 40 games since 2014, so we'll see what happens. Right. Yeah, and when he spoke to Mark Sheldon after the uh, the inter squad game today, he, you know, he uh, as as would be expected for anybody who's been through what he's been through over the last couple of seasons. You know, he said it, it it was rusty. It was, you know, it it felt different. It felt odd, but it didn't sound like he felt uh, bad after the fact. But at the same point in time, um, you know. Uh, from 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 my getting older perspective, uh, you do things one day they feel okay, but then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh crap, that hurts. So I'm 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 waiting to find out how he feels tomorrow and the day after that and and all of those things because you know for any professional athlete, uh, uh, the rigors of not just doing it once but having to do it every single day is what you truly kind of judge them on and. You know that's that's for the average position player in a sport, but for a guy who's going to be a catcher and be asked to do what Mez, you know, was signed to do, um, how, how quickly he gets into that ability to recover from what he did the day before um, is kind of what I'm going to be watching almost as much as him actually being able to get out there in uniform and catch a couple innings. Look like uh, Bronson sat between 83 and 86 today, so. Right. This will uh, be and, fun. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that's going to be a lot lower than what he would be you know, if, at the major league level if he ends up starting. I don't know if he's going to get end up getting a lot faster than that. So yeah, and it looks like yeah, like his last three years with the Reds. Before, so that would have been what, like 2012, 2013, or 2011, 2012, 2013. Um, he averaged about eighty seven on his fastball. Right. Um, and then obviously there's, there was a dip on the, the, the few starts he made with Arizona in 2014 before his arm fell off. Um, but it's not like it's, you know, it, I guess the difference between 87 to 83, uh, isn't, I, I, I guess if you're only pitching 87, what I'm trying to get at is that you've already found the way to pitch slowly. Right. Uh, so it's not like you're dropping from, you know, from 95 to 90 and suddenly you can't overpower guys. Um, you know, if this truly is like, him shaking the rust off and as he builds up some stamina over the next two or three weeks and he can actually get that fastball up to, you know, averaging 85, 86, that's not too different from what it was when he was doing that, you know, three, four, five years ago. So, um, but yeah, uh, that, that, that wasn't the most encouraging thing that I saw, but also it's Bronson Arroyo. Like he's, you're not expecting him to go out there <laughs> at 394 anyway. So, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I have a lot more uh, confidence in Bronson Arroyo to get through a game with an 87 mile an hour fastball than I do maybe anyone else on the red staff right now. Yeah. yeah. Like if you, if you go out in the backyard and try to play a game of wiffle ball, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you can only throw a wiffle ball so hard. I feel like a role as Chapman might be easier to hit than Bronson would. Cause Chapman gets up there. You can't throw it one Oh five. Suddenly it's not going as fast as you used to. And you can, you can hit that, but Bronson, you give him a wiffle ball, he's going to move that thing about 17 feet. So yeah, I, that's, I think, that's his bread and butter. So yeah, I think. so as long as he can still throw a breaking ball, I'm. Uh, and, and if he can change arm angles, that that is Bronson Royo at any speed. Yeah, and uh, so and really the only other piece of news that we have, um, you know, obviously the World Baseball Classic's uh, been going on for a couple of days as we record this. Um, Jumbo Diaz got uh, designated for assignment. Uh, Kind of a it's surprising move to a lot of people. Obviously, he had a pretty good ERA in the low low threes uh, last season um, with with the Reds at the big league level, and uh, you know, not the guy that the first guy that you would have expected. Uh, they they brought in a first baseman Christian Walker uh, from where where they where they get him. I know he played for the Orioles last year, Atlanta, I think, but Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. Just claimed him from the Orioles, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't know. Maybe middle infield depth for um, a, a pitcher who, you know, really his peripherals didn't kind of live up to his stellar ERA, um, and so I, I don't know. I don't really see this as being a huge deal for the Reds. Obviously, he's going to pitch in the World Baseball Classic, which is kind of why I, I bring that up, but. Uh, it sounds like 
you know, he could very well clear waivers and be in Louisville for to start the season, or someone someone might might want him. So we'll see. With that, let's go into uh, reader questions. Um, so really good one just out of the gate from uh, Xenophon of Athens. He asks, "What, in your opinion, is the minimum performance this team needs to maintain to for Brian Price to keep his job?" And uh, is he safe no matter what, or do they need to improve in the standings this year? And if so, by how much? So, uh, somebody want to take that? Yeah. So I, I think uh, you know, for the same, uh, 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 well, I guess it's a little bit different. So I don't want to say it's the same, but uh, for the same reasons that he ever had the, the the managerial job in the first place, which is, you know, he was a great pitching coach and he worked really well with the previous iteration of young red starters as they came up before getting the actual. Uh, managerial job. Um, I think the development of the young starters that are going to be leaned on so much in this particular year, um, you know, obviously more so than last year, because last year guys like Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson were just barely touching major league eligibility or major league, you know, uh, 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 readiness. Um, and Amir Garrett wasn't there. Now you're looking up and saying, okay, Cody Reed and Bob, Robert Stevenson are probably going to make the opening day rotation if everything goes moderately as planned to start the year. And Amir Garrett, if he continues to improve uh, off of what he did last year, is going to be knocking on the door, waiting to come in as soon as he can. Um, I think their development, uh, along with Brandon Finnegan, along with Anthony Scafani, like that's, you know, it's it's that core of the young pitching staff that the Reds focused on bringing in and augmenting during this rebuild. Um, and I think how that core kind of develops over the course of the season, regardless of record, I think, I mean, obviously records, if they, you know, if they lose 120 games, yeah, maybe Brian Price is going to be screwed. But, you know, if, if, if those five guys are making the steps in the, first, uh, you know, in the right direction and look like they've got that core that could be the next great rotation, you know, that's what he got hired for in the first place, which is, you know, how, how great he was with Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey and Mike Leake and Matt Latos and those guys as they emerged into their expensive years. You know, if he shows that he can control that pitching staff and make them be uh, that next core five, or if somebody else jumps in there and Sal Romano, for instance, uh, happens to be one of those guys. Uh, I, I think that's more important to what the Reds should be watching on Brian Price's uh, 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 head uh, than whether they win 78 versus 69 games this year. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I, he just needs to be close to what they did last year. Um, I think fans are going to be much more interested in, uh, you know, now that the rebuild's another year down the road. Are the are these young players getting some more time? Are there reasons to be excited? And I think you could fairly easily sell fans on, even if they're a handful of games worse, uh, if a, a few of these young guys kind of flash some promise, uh, that being enough to to not make this huge public outcry for, for Brian Price's job. And in some ways, I think maybe the Cubs were the perfect thing to happen to the Reds right now in terms of uh, no one's expecting them to win the division. There's no pipe dream that they're going to be able to pull that off. And so I think it gives them a little bit more of a, a cushion than he might have otherwise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. I mean, I think that when when they decided to bring him back after last season, I think that's a commitment to say – we think that you're going to lead the next good Reds team. Let's let's give this a shot. And so I I think that, you know, obviously he's not going to be untouchable or anything, but as long as there's steps in that direction, as long as, you know, Billy Hamilton comes along a little bit, as long as you get a, a good season out of Jose Peraza and he, you know, makes strides into becoming that everyday player, you know, I think that as long as those – those pieces are there and they can then they can sell the fans on that going forward that um, you know Brian Price should still be in pretty good shape. I mean, when you look at when you look at coaches in this city, I mean, it's going to be a long time before uh, Brian Price hits Marvin Lewis territory. So, you know, there's not a the, the bar isn't super high for uh for professional coaches in this city. So, I I think uh, Brian Price as long as he you know, just has a decent team next year, this year, um, that he should be able to keep his job. 
So did yeah. his uh, did, when he went off on these millennials and participation trophies and all that, did that make you nervous at all about his relationship with the clubhouse? It did. It didn't particularly with me. Um, I mean, I, I obviously uh, I don't think that's one of those things that just popped in his head and, and something could happen in front of him to, uh, you know, to, to change his mind and make him say that for the first time. Um, I, I think that's something that kind of fits his MO. Obviously, the, the, the pissing up the rope comments from, uh, from whenever that was ago. Uh, it, it seems like he's got that kind of mindset, but that's also the kind of mindset that made him such an effective pitching coach. So if that's kind of how he's always been, which I, I get the impression it is, that didn't bother me so much. Um, but I, I guess to get back to how to judge him just a little bit, um, I'm judging him based on the pitchers more so than I think guys like Jose Peraza. Cause if you look up and if guys like Jose Peraza and Dilson Herrera and, uh, Scott Shebler and Adam Duvall and Eugenio Suarez, even if they don't take that next step to make the lineup that great, I can only blame Brian Price for that so much, considering those are five guys that the front office went out and targeted to be the returns for the guys they traded for. Um, and and with Price, you know he's he's made a habit of turning young pitchers into very good pitchers. But uh, you know position players like they knew what they got when they were signing him up to be a manager as a former pitching coach. Um, how those guys hit. I'm hoping for the best, and I hope that there's a, a good support system in place, which I think there is, and I'm relatively optimistic about those five guys this year. Um, but I can't really judge him on how they develop as much as I'm going to be judging him on how the pitchers develop because uh, yeah. g- g- given his track record and how he got the job in the first place, um, yeah, if anything is going to be more leveraged on him uh, that you know on the field compared to what the front office kind of gets leveraged on i think it's the pitching into things and so that's what i'm going to be primarily judging him on because if he does that and the other guys don't hit yeah it falls a little bit on him but there's also a lot that falls in the front office if that doesn't go well yeah and i i think another good thing to bring up is one thing that we're talking you know we've been talking about the last couple weeks is with um this new kind of bullpen system this closer by committee and you know, having these former starting pitchers pitching multiple innings in the bullpen, you know, it's, it seems like he's kind of having the reins taken off of him a little bit this year, Brian Price's, which, um, you know, I think as long as they're giving him a shot to kind of prove that his system works, as long as that's effective, um, you know, I, that's a step in the right direction. And it'll be interesting to see if he can implement that or, if you know if he does implement that and it blows up in his face, what what the Reds front office actually will do with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, one that I, I'd kind of overlooked at this particular time. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 great uh, for him to have you know this idea in mind and this idea in place of of utilizing the bullpen much more effectively um, and on leverage based than on you know standard roles before. Um, but it's also nice to know that he's got. Guys like Rysel Iglesias, who they spent $27 million guaranteed on uh, to be anchoring that. And then a first-round pick in Michael Lorenzen, who showed great uh, promise in that role last year. And Tony Singrani, who once, you know, he led all of National League Baseball uh, three years ago in K-9 for guys who pitched 100 innings. Um, and Drew Storen, a guy who saved 40 games before uh, in his major league career. He's, he's got the tools in place on that pitching staff in the bullpen uh, to be able to be judged on how they work out. Um, and he's got the young guys to where he can kind of help mold. So, yeah, I think I think when it comes to the pitching staff, how they performed this year, especially in the wake of how badly they performed last year, um, a lot of that can be judged purely on how he manages it. And so I mm-hmm. think that's, uh, uh, you know, he can't really ask for a whole heck of a lot more uh, from a rebuilding team uh, with the arms that are back there right now. So uh, moving on, um MC Reds Hot asks, I'm intrigued by the battle of the bench spots in camp this year. What do you like the guys? What do you like about the guys at Goodyear and how do you think it will shake out? And uh, specific guys he mentions are um, Alcantara, Ryan Rayburn, Erie Barron, uh, Pat Kivlahan, Tony Renda, Desmond Jennings, Dilson Herrera, and Christian Walker. So um, obviously a lot of uh, a lot of guys to go through. Um the, who wants to start on that one? I know, I know, Wick. You've been uh, you've been high on Alcantara so far. 
Yeah, you know, I've 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 been high on I, I I've been high on the concept of Alcantara, you know, or Alcantara, depending on who Marty Burnham is talking about at any given day. Um, yeah, I, he's a 25 year old guy, is a former top 100 prospect who can play competent defense at center field, second base, shortstop, third base, and in, presumably in corner outfield spots. Which um, you know, whether or not they choose to roll with him, or whether or not they choose to roll with him and he hits 195 and 100 plate appearances and gets DFA'd again. Um, he's the kind of guy that should be challenging for bench spots with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, mm-hmm. Because if he does show anything or if he does show promise or if he shows that he's a late bloomer, which, you know, uh, you know, I, I always bring it up, but Todd Frazier was a 25-year-old rookie. So <laughs> Todd Frazier was still plying his time in AAA, uh, having never made it a, a MLB debut when Alcantara was – you know, uh, in his third big league season with a multiple or with a different club. So uh, I, I like the flyer they've given on him. I think he will fit well. If he's nothing more than a defensive replacement, I think he'll fit well with the team. But guys like uh, Ryan Rayburn and Desmond Jennings specifically, those are two veteran bats. Um, but they also fill a role other than just being veterany because they hit left-handed pitching very, very well. Uh, and the Reds basically – Across the board, by most every metric, we're either last, dead last, like as in like uh, a full standard deviation worse than every other team in the big leagues, or second to last to the Dodgers in how they performed against left-handed pitching last year. Um, and so I, th- I like the idea that they brought those guys in not just to – uh, to be veterans and show experience and how to get up and be on time every day, uh, but also bring something tangible to the bench, which is hit lefties when – Scott Schebler has never done so in his career, uh, and Adam Duvall sports uh, uh, platoon split or reverse platoon splits as a ready in the outfield. So those moves, I, I like what they've done. Um, and so far this spring, a lot of those guys, Pat Kevlihan as well, um, have hit really, really well. Uh, Tony Arenda's hit well so far this spring. So um, I, I, I think they've got really good options in there. Um, and I like the fact that they're good options primarily are guys that look like they can uh, contribute in 2017 and aren't just veterans who contributed in 2014, but are good clubhouse guys. I mean, of this, you know, the group that, that was mentioned, I think, obviously, I think uh, Herrera is the one I'm most interested in. I mean, as you look at that list, there's the potential that some of them could contribute down the road. Uh, but in terms of, you know, a handful of, or two to three years from now when the Reds are competitive again, uh, my guess is he has the the best shot of that crew of being around and, uh, having regular playing time. So uh, I think what happens with him over the course of this year is probably a little more interesting to me than, than anybody else in that list. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think going back to what uh, Wick said, I mean, when you look at Rayburn and Jennings in the outfield, plus, you know, Duvall, Hamilton and Shebler, it, it seems like the Reds pretty much have their five outfielders for opening day set already. I mean, it, to me, if you bring a guy like Desmond Jennings in who can play all three outfield spots and has you know, still has some projectability and some potential left, you know, I think that um, yeah, he's pretty much a shoe-in. And then you have a veteran bat who can hit lefties off the bench in Ryan Rayburn. I think you know, both of those are, are probably pretty good, um, good bets. Um, you know, I, I like the versatility that Alcantara brings. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Hernan Uribarin get a spot there just because, um, you know, when you, he, the Reds all, always liked having that kind of veterany infielder guy who has a bunch of minor league seasons, a bunch of, uh, you, know, you know, a bunch of AAA experience, and you he's looked good so far you know he came up the end of last year looked fine um and you know if the reds need somebody who can kind of play every infield spot he he might be a good uh a good possibility for that but it does it does interest me that they're it seems like they're trying out a lot of guys who can play first base just in case not that they're expecting anything to happen to Joey Votto but you know, maybe as a late inning defensive replacement to give or to give Vado a day off. You know, that's why I think you've seen a guy like Pat Kivlahan, who can kind of do a little bit of everything. And um, this, this the Christian Walker pickup is is interesting for that reason too. He seems like more of a you know 
break glass in case of emergency first baseman, but uh, you know they obviously think highly enough of him to put use a, a roster spot on him. So we'll see. Yeah, the Irbarn uh, uh, being that veteran guy, I. I, I like the way that you mentioned that he, you know, he'd spent a lot of time in AAA. He's also marinated down there a while, but he's been that kind of veteran presence. You know, uh, he's been in the Reds organization long enough to have uh, not just, uh, 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 you know, that minor league veteran experience, but he's been with a lot of the young guys who are now part of the, you know, the projected major league roster this year. Um, guys like Shebler and guy like, guys like Jose Peraza, um, Dilson Herrera, even at the end of last year too. Um, he's played with a lot of the young guys and kind of mentored them there. And so having him potentially be that mentor at the the big league level too, uh, while also being, you know, a competent guy who can hit a little bit, um, is it, interesting to see how that relationship works out. Yeah. He's he's an interesting guy. I mean, he you know spent the last three seasons with the Reds, and when you look at all of the young talent that the Reds have brought up the last three seasons, I mean, you know, he had some time there even with you know guys like Peraza last year. So, um, you know, that familiarity with the Reds' coaching staff and with the young players could definitely be an advantage for him. I think. Yeah. So. Uh, Moving on to the next question. Um, who asked this one? Uh, Chai Da asks, what do you expect from Scott Shebler this year? Will, will he hit for more power, and should he be, we be concerned about his arm strength? I mean, I don't. I wouldn't put it past him if he got – I mean, if he got a pretty regular slate of at-bats, at least against righties, I mean, there's 20 home runs out of the question. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, not not with not with Great American Ballpark being you know playing host to to, to at least half of those games. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that you know he could. I think he has that potential from what we've seen. I mean, we didn't see him a ton last year, but you know from what we saw, I think that that's not out of the question at all. Yeah, and I mean you know based on the last few years of Jay Bruce in right field. Um, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we saw peak five win Jay Bruce, um, years ago, but over the last few years, he's not been peak five win Jay Bruce. So I don't think it's outlandish at all to say that Scott Shebler might put in a better 2017 than the average year Jay Bruce put in over like the last, what, three or four years. I mean, yeah. if he puts yeah. in a, he puts in a two win season, that's, kind of an improvement at this point. And, you know, I think if he hits 260 with a 330 on base percentage and hits 20 home runs and, uh, you know, primarily starting playing time out there and plays just, you know, average defense, I think he could be, quote unquote, at least in terms by, you know, wins above replacement better than Jay Bruce has been on average the last few years out there. Yeah. And uh, Zips has – Shebler hitting 21 homers, so right right above your uh, benchmark, Eric. So hopefully hopefully Dan is onto something with that. He was onto something with Adam Duvall last year too. I mean, he he Zips was one of the few uh, sincere projections that actually shed, you know said, hey, I think he can hit 25 home runs if he gets the playing time, and his defense out there might not be terrible. And that's mm-hmm. what we got from Adam Duvall. So if yeah, if Zips <laughs> knows something about uh, uh, Reds outfielders. Um, then hopefully they'll be right on Shepler this year too. Right on. So, all right, this is this is uh, one of our favorite questions from uh, Charlie Scrabbles. So, um, imagine a fran- a franchise fantasy draft. Who in the current Reds organization would you select first? This is an awesome question. Eric, you want to lead off with that? Yeah, I think this is a good question. Um, if I'm just so uh, the the question is, I'm starting a team from scratch. Uh, Who do I want? Yes, let's go. Uh, ah, uh, I mean, in terms of age and upside, it's to me, it's kind of hard not to take Nick Senzel right now. Um, I know he's uh, got a little bit of time. I mean. Uh, if you if you've got the kind of team that's going to win the short term, it's hard not to take Joey Votto. But if you're looking for who could be uh, you know a solid player on your club for ten to twelve years, 
um, with with how Senzel's looked, with where he's ranked in prospect list, with the the kind of upside he looks like he can bring. Uh, to me, it's not or it's 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 hard not to start there if you're concerned about uh, who's going to give me the most production over the next decade potentially. Right. Yeah, I, I was going to say him too. So. <laughs> Well, I'll go. Uh, I'll go a slightly different direction on that because, uh, as much as I have high hopes for, uh, for the Reds' most recent first-round draft pick and uh, the guy that is basically sitting atop every single prospect list, uh, you know, I, I look at Phil Irvin's uh, first year after being drafted in a first-round pick and how well he hit Billings and how well he hit Dayton and what he's done since then. And I, you know, guys who were that quote-unquote far away, and obviously Sinzel's supposed to be a fast mover, um, but he's hit a half season in a ball and I have a hard time committing all of my willingness to say, yes, he's going to be awesome. Despite the fact that I do think, <laughs> yes, he's going to be awesome. Um, I'm going to go to a little different route. I'm going to say Anthony DiScofani. Um, mm. He's a guy who has basically two years under his belt. He's still pre-arb. So, you know, even no extension, he's got four years of team control. Uh, but he's also, and I wrote about this uh, last week, you know, comparing him to where Homer Bailey was at their age and what they've shown. Um, and I, I think DiScofani is, you know, in a better position to sign, to be signed long term than Homer was when Homer was signed long term. And obviously the Reds are willing to go to 100 million bucks to sign Homer when he was at that point. But with Disco, I look up and see, okay, he's still 26 years old. Uh, you know, regardless of whether or not he gets an extension, I think he's probably got seven to eight years where he's still in that range of being a very, very, very effective pitcher. Um, but with the Reds right now, I think he's the best combination of low cost, good production, reasonably healthy, uh, uh, reasonably young and still proven. And, uh, I, I, I have a hard time. I mean, we'll put it this way. Sinzel might be the one player in the entire Cincinnati system right now where if the Reds said, hey, we're going to trade everybody we've got who might get more in return to DiScofani, but it'd be close. I think it'd be very, very close in terms of their trade value. Um, and DiScofani to me is a slightly, slightly, slightly surer bet. And if nothing else, it gives me someone else other than who you both would have said. So <laughs> Pick somebody not even starting opening day. That's terrible. And can't stay healthy. God dang, man. <laughs> to be fair, Nick Senzel isn't starting opening day either. That, well, that's true. He might not that's be for true. a while. So that is true. That yeah, is true. He could. He he could probably he could be on the Chris Bryant path next year. So where he doesn't come up until mid-April. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I just I look at Disco and I say too okay, much production. If this goes if this goes healthy, he's a he's a two to four win pitcher. I think each year. Yeah. For the next, you know, four to five years, um, and the top end of that, I don't think is unreasonable based on what he's shown. When he's been healthy. The bottom end, if he just happens to be a mid-rotation starter, yeah, that's probably not the person you want to take first overall in a franchise draft. But it's still a guy who's proven enough at the big league level to say, hey, you know, if he gives you uh, ten wins above replacement over the next four years, would that really surprise you? It wouldn't really to me, and it'll be market no. value or cheaper for that for that production. And I think that's kind of my hedge on this. So, uh, next question up. So was 2010, 2012 or 2013, the most fun Reds team to watch. So just going the last three playoff teams and the last era of good Reds baseball that we're already reminiscing on, uh, (laughs) which was the most fun to, uh, watch of those three, which I'll, I'll, I'll start on this one. Uh, it's 2010 by far. Uh, so with 2010, you have, um, the team that everyone really wasn't expecting to, to do all that much. They kind of came out of nowhere and were one of the best teams in baseball. Um, and with 2010, you also have clinchmas, which was the greatest thing ever. So that's my vote. I was trying to base mine off of which playoff loss was less painful but they all hurt kind of bad. So I don't think that's a good way to make this decision. Uh, yeah, it's I, it's hard not to go with, with 2010, given that they were coming off 
such a long run of not even being above 500 and then to finally be a 91 win team. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think just the, well, just their ability to do that. Um, obviously the, the sweep against the Phillies kind of soured the end of the year, but, um, right. yeah, you had almost a seven win season out of Joey Votto and yeah, there was a lot to like about 2010. I, yeah. I was just going to mention that, you know, when you think of the worst, the least bad playoff losses, it might actually, even though they got no hit in 2010, that still might be better than 2012 and 2013, just because they were just glad to be there at that point. And even though they lost really quickly in the playoffs, like that was it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think given where the Reds are in their current rebuild and where they've got like this young nucleus, that's just waiting to break through. 2010 resonates very well right now because it kind of feels like 2008, 2009, hopefully in Reds world again. Um, but I think, yeah, that, that, that breakthrough win for so many of us that have watched the Reds for 15 years do basically nothing. Um, that, that was huge to me though. And this is probably just my brain, maybe overthinking things, but it's also kind of the way my, my brain operates as a baseball fan. Uh, I almost want to say 2013 because I don't hmm. think there was a, a team that was better built from day one than 2013's team. Uh, and I say that based on the front office moves. So in terms of the, the roster construction, uh, I, I think they went into 2013 with a that they they couldn't have made a better move than to bring in Shinsu Chu. Um, right. They 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 built everything perfectly. Everybody was healthy. Everybody was good to go. I mean, Joey Votto. You know, in hindsight, we now know he wasn't 100 percent during that year, but at least he played every game. Um, Everything about how the front office, and I guess that's what I'm saying, is that like if I if if I have my front office goggles on, I say 2013. If I have my, you know, on the field goggles and watching the results every day, 2010 was more enjoyable. 2013 though is to me from a front office construction standpoint, uh, so exciting to watch. I mean, Chu had a 420 on base percentage, and the Reds finally had a leadoff hitter, and. Mm. You know, they had, their lineup was perfectly constructed. Brandon Phillips finally didn't have to hit cleanup anymore. And Jay Bruce slid into the cleanup spot. And, uh, you know, Devin Mesoraka was just finally getting a chance to, to to break through as the top prospect. And all of the the, uh, the, the the parts of the rotation were there and they were ready to go and they were healthy. And, you know, I the expectations on that team coming off of 2012 were so high that, like, I look back at hindsight and, like, I've got – this initial fog that says, oh, 2013 was so disappointing. It was a 90-win team that lost their last five games and basically got Dusty fired. But, like, that that that's one final good week away from being a 95-win team, you know. And given where they were before that, that four-year run, uh, that seems unfathomable. But I think that team was so well-constructed that I, yeah. I, 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 I'll always remember that team as being that team that I wish would have done more because it would have made all of, like, you know, all the moves that I said, oh, that's the right move. If they would have panned out, I would have had a great explanation for all of them because I feel like the front office mirrored what I wanted to have happen better that year than in any other year. Well, yeah. I mean, remember the the uh, SB Nation winter meeting sim before that season? You, you and I were running the, the yeah. fake Reds. And we, we traded for Shinsu Chu. And then yeah, the, did. the real Reds did the same thing. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that point of view just because – you know, when you look at the team in 2012, that was a that was a pretty stacked team. They made good moves going into 2012, bringing in bringing in Matt Latos to be that other you know big front line starting pitcher. And right, they were one move away in 2013, and they made the move that they had to make, and it just it didn't work out towards the end of the season. And yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I think that that last that last week though, that's kind of. When I think of 2013, that's what I think of. Is yeah, I know, and I, I hate I hate that because melting I down it. at the end and then losing the game in Pittsburgh and the fans chanting Equato and all that. So yeah, I mean, it, it signaled the end in so many different <laughs> ways. But like, like the yeah. start of it and the way it was put together and for the the bulk of the entire season, man, that was like that was the that was a great team that just it it didn't bounce right for them. But that team. I mean, they still had Scott Rowland, Todd Frazier had taken over, like, uh, yeah. you know, Stubbs had had a terrible 2012 season and they replaced him with Chu, who was awesome. Like everything about that year was like, oh man, this is, this is going to work. Like, this is so good. And it just, it fizzled in, 
an instant, but so much of that year was really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So speaking of Devin Mezzarocco, uh I I'm impressed that we actually got to say that. Uh if Mez can't catch, what will he do for the Reds in twenty seventeen besides pinch hit? And if he can't catch if he can't catch and they can't trade him, do they dump him? Uh, I think Zach talked. Zach Buchanan wrote this week about kind of his process of trying to find his swing again, and mm-hmm. I mean he was pretty open about how that shoulder injury kind of messed with his swing, and he wasn't able to do similar things, and it just felt awkward. And uh, I think I had always just assumed like if he can't catch, stick him in the outfield, and he's going to be fine, and you right. might get something similar to 2014, but. I mean, with with this long of a layoff and the you know the the things that have happened to his body, I think I'm more nervous now than I ever have been that it just may not happen for him with the Reds again. Yeah, I I hope that that's not the case, but I I'm inclined to kind of agree with you. I hope that you know I I think for him the number one thing is that he as long as he can hit, somebody's going to find a place for him. So you know if if he can hit. But he can't catch, which, you know, I I can't see a situation where he's a effective hitter, but you know, unable to get in a squat behind the plate. But um, if for whatever reason that that's that's a thing, um, you know, I could totally see them trying to just throw him in left field and hope that they don't hit the ball to him and hope he gets better. But you know, yeah, I. I'm hoping I don't think that they would just dump him just for nothing though. I mean, I think that they could they could you know send him to an AL team that could make him a DH or something, but yeah, I don't I don't see them releasing him or anything. Yeah, so he's got what? He's got 2 years and right at 20 20 21 million dollars left counting 2017. Um yeah. I I don't I don't I don't see them just cutting him. But I, I do agree with both of what you all said, which is that, you know, if if he can't catch, if I, you know, as we talked about earlier, if he can catch, but then wakes up the next day and is so sore he can't catch for two more days, uh, you know, that that that's counterproductive in itself. I, I think, you know, I, I almost would have to think that they would just stick him in left field, even if he's Adam Dunn in left field. Uh, because if that's what you could do to, to at least showcase his bat five days a week uh, and see if he can still hit, because if he can hit like Adam Dunn and play defense out there like Adam Dunn, somebody will want him and say, I'm not going to play him in left field, but I'll at least get his bat in the lineup. But, uh, you know, he's got to be healthy enough and in the National League be on the field often enough to show that his bat can still work. And, you know, I, if, if, if catching doesn't allow his bat to shine or at least get the chance to shine, you got to give him a chance to breathe somewhere. And, you know, uh, you know, if Adam Duvall's playing well and Scott Shebler's playing well, I, I don't know how you, how you do that. I, I think that's a, uh, I, I know that's probably a scenario that keeps Dick Williams up at night. It might be the scenario that caused Walt Jockety to technically quote unquote like retire or step down. I don't know, because there's no clear answer to it. Uh it's a you know a fingers and toes cross scenario at this point. But yeah, I I think if you can't catch and you can prove that catching and the hips are the issue and not the shoulder and not everything else, I, I literally think you just go ask him to stand in left field four days a week and yeah, you just <laughs> you you, yeah. you pitch uh you pitch right handed hitter right handed pitchers versus uh, uh, right-handed batters and hope that they, they can't turn on a ball and they have to hit it to center field and just get him a chance to get enough PAs to show if he can still hit. Otherwise, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, it's, I'm not sure there's a bigger question mark in all of baseball right now um, in terms of players that are guaranteed money and have shown things in the past than there is Devin Mesoraco because it's not like he's 35. You know, he's mm-hmm. what, 28? Like he's got prime age if he's healthy again um but i i'm not sure there's anybody who knows at this point what you do yeah i mean i just how good 2014 was like they're not gonna just release that i mean i was going back and looking at it uh i mean by catchers who were had at least 300 plate appearances i mean you can drop it pretty low he had 
the best offensive season of any catcher in baseball that season by WRC plus. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not, they're going to do everything they can to try and get some semblance of that back without just, you know, let him go. So moving on from that, who would you rather have a beer with Tom Brennerman or Yadier Molina? <laughs> uh, that, that one's easy and quick for me. It's Tom Brennerman. Because at least I know I could talk Reds and I wouldn't have to talk Cardinals. I don't know that I'm going to do a better answer than that, but yeah, I'll take Tom. Yeah, yeah, I, 100%. Easy, easiest call ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> another, uh, another quick one. Uh, who won the trade circa 2006? Hey, Eric, I, uh-huh. this is kind of a, like a Red Reporter throwback. Eric, are you familiar with which, which trade that we're talking about? Uh, are we talking about the Austin Kearns trade? The, the Austin Kearns, Felipe Lopez okay. trade. A highly, I haven't thought about it. A highly while, debated uh, source of uh, on on Red Reporter pretty much since, I have an, since Red I Reporter. Have, I, I have a definitive answer to this. I do. Yeah, so uh, I do too. It's, I, is it going to be the same answer? Uh, baseballreference.com won the trade because there were enough people <laughs> in it that you have to look it up to this date to get all the peripheral information on it. Neither the Washington Nationals nor the Cincinnati Reds won that trade. Neither team got anything they wanted. Both teams got a lot of spare parts that turned into junk. Felipe Lopez, (laughs) Felipe Lopez and Austin Kearns for as good as they were with the Reds in 2006. And their two seasons after the trade combined for negative 0.6 wins above replacement with the Washington Nationals. The Reds basically got nothing out of Daryl Thompson, nothing out of Gary Majewski, Majewski uh, Magic Man, nothing out of Royce Clayton, got some tantalizing stuff out of Bill Bray, but ultimately really not that much. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim Bowden got uh, an ESPN job uh, after getting yeah. fired from being the front office, but I'm going to say BaseballReference.com wins that trade because it just it's a mouthful of sadness on both sides. Yeah, I was gonna say that nobody won that trade. <laughs> no there one, no one ever won, won that trade. Especially not Red Reporter. Especially not Red Reporter. Yeah, we did not win that trade either. I remember caring about this so much at the time. Yeah, and it meant so little. Yeah, it, it really, yeah. Like it, it just ended two seasons, like that day. It was all everyone talked about until until like the Reds were a playoff team. It was, uh, oh, we, we lost the trade. We lost the trade, like that trade. It's like, uh, and like it, it was like it was it was, it was it was much ado about about ultimately nothing. But like it was also at the time it was it was it was Jim Bowden coming back and like dipping into the guys that he drafted or that he found and he wanted back and sending damaged yeah. goods. And it was this, you know, it was like this 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 uh, you know tainted love triangle um, that that was kind of the centerpiece for all of it. And both teams got worse. Both teams fell apart. Neither body got anybody long-term. And yeah, it was like the biggest trade in recent Cincinnati Reds history. And the, you know, the grand result was nothing. It just turned out terrible for everybody. And one of those things too, that, that always jumped out at me too. Like when I think of Wayne Krivsky, that's pretty much like the move that I think of when I think of him. Even though he Wayne Krivsky in two thousand six pulled off two of the biggest trades in Reds history, the like the most lopsided trades, the one for Brandon Phillips and the one for uh, Bronson Arroyo, but when it comes down like when it comes down to it, he still hasn't gotten another GM job uh, since the Reds. Yeah, when I when I think of Wayne Krivsky, the first thing that comes to my mind is his awesome sweaters. Um, <laughs> but, but the second. Yeah, but the, but the second thing that pops to mind is this trade because it was so big and, you know, the, the Reds had struggled with first-round draft picks for a while and they finally got a good one at Austin Kearns who had had a great year the year before and, you know, at, at the time and given his age, seemed to be, uh, uh, you know, that, that next budding star. He was from Lexington. He was from Reds country and grew up a Reds fan and, like, all of that stuff, it just screamed like – Wait, what are you doing? Like, why is all this happening? And it just it, it ended up being more um, you know, newspaper fodder than it actually did 
impacting any other team's bottom line after the fact, but it just it it reeked of making a move because you had to and not because it made sense. And in the end, it ended up not making sense for anybody, you know. Uh, and mm. you know, I think the fact that the Reds, you know, were back in two thousand six, they hadn't done anything on the field since two thousand nine or since nineteen ninety nine. Pardon me. And so this was the first year that they looked to be back in contention again and to disrupt that team at the trade deadline the way that they did uh, because they needed quote unquote bullpen help. Just it it, it just uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, unprecedented it, and probably still. I can't think of another situation where a team has traded two everyday players for two relievers. I, yeah, never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Last last reader question this week. So now that Jay Bruce is no longer with the Reds, and by this by the way, this is from uh, our, our old friend uh, Angie, who uh, who yeah. stopped by and asked this question. So now that Jay Bruce is no longer with the Reds, does Adam Duvall take over as the player with the most fabulous hair? Uh, we got to see what happens with Bronson Arroyo. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's that's all him if he makes this roster. That is true. That is true. And Tony Segrani has sported a little bit of shag from from time to time. And Homer Bailey, if he ever throws another pitch for the Reds again, uh, was let, was was let was letting his hair uh, flow a little bit uh, in preseason too. So uh, I think Duvall's got some competition. Well, and I I think you know Duvall Duvall even if he is you know up there now, he he won't be for long because Alex Blandino is coming. And uh, oh, yeah. Alex Blandino yeah. is about to—he's about to take that crown for for a while if he can stick around. So <laughs> be a heartbreaker, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, on hard hitting analysis uh, from Reddit.com. <laughs> hard hitting hairstyle analysis. Uh, we will uh, we will leave you. Um, make sure to follow us on uh, Twitter at Red Reporter. Go and uh, read our stuff at Red Reporter. We are deep into uh, the Red Reports season right now as we're profiling every Reds player on the 25-man roster for 2017. So uh, keep keep those uh, in mind and keep checking those out. And sorry to interrupt, but go listen yeah. to Eric's On Baseball Writing podcast as well, which has been oh, yeah. a fantastic yeah, series. To- that I've actually I've got, got that out. I've got to get caught up in the last two or three episodes as well because I've, I've I've fallen behind. But they have been so good, and it's been so cool to actually listen to the voices and the insight from so many people that I've yeah. read and followed for years uh, to I, see to hear how they kind of come about what they do. And that's sorry to take a long plug, but that's a very good plug. <laughs> Go listen to it. Yeah, I I haven't had a chance to listen to the uh, the latest one. I think it's Sam Miller from. Uh, Formerly a baseball prospectus, so uh, I'm I'm really excited about that one. But yeah, he was he was one of my white whales heading into this. So I was I sent him an email last night and said, "Hey man, if you ever have time, I'd love to do it." And he said, "Well, why don't you turn it on in five minutes?" So we were off and running. <laughs> nice, there nice. That's awesome. But yeah, keep keep those coming, Eric. Those are that's an awesome series. Mm-hmm. Always uh, love to see one of those in my iTunes. So so uh, with that, we will. Uh, See you next week.